I'm Tim Kittrow, and you're tuned in to the Important Nonsense Podcast with Steve Bonham. Attention, Alan Hearn's mom. His knee is better. <laughs> you can stop worrying. Neil Smith. Even with the concussion, as long as he's cleared, probably don't have a better option. Jack Kavanaugh. Raheem Mostair, as I would like to call him. And Jason Draven. Nah, man. Just let's watch some football. Boom shakalaka. All right, welcome in, everybody. It is the Important Nonsense Podcast, the Week 17 edition. I am your host, Steve Bonham, joined, as always, by Mr. Neil Smith. Neil, how are we doing this evening? Doing good, doing good, man. If you would have told me we would actually be recording the Week 17 show at all. With, in the preseason? The, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would have told you you were an insane person. Um, but here we are. We made it. We are at the end, the official end of fantasy football. The last week... If you're playing daily, go go spend the difference. Have fun. It's kind of a it's kind of a fun week when you don't play in a pressure cooker where you play in a dinosaur league where you actually might have to set a meaningful lineup uh, this week. Hopefully, you're not in that situation, and hopefully, you live in the 21st century. But I can't believe we're here, Steve. I can't believe it. So, with the uh, season now over in terms of fantasy purposes, we will go back and look through what we have done, and that, of course means our guy jack cavanaugh here with hot take time machine jack welcome in oh thank you steve it is so exciting to be back you know i always look forward to this every time of year that we get to do this just a joy to be back with you guys i miss recording with you every week and so it's just fun to just bask in your presence and then make fun of your takes perfect love it so jack go ahead take the reins it's all you from here on out all right so hopping in the time machine you know, not everything's going to be perfect, right? You know, we have this magic, we have this time machine, can go back, go forward. Some things we just don't pick up on. So there was no way we could know that Tyrod Taylor would get stabbed in the lung. So all our Chargers projections completely off. I'm okay with that, just wild. Same with the Cowboys. You can't project that. Losing Dak just derailed everything. And then you can throw out our Dolphins backfield projections too. Jordan Howard was our clear-cut starter in a 60-40 split with Matt Breida, who's saying Howard's going to run it. Breida's going to catch it. The good news is we told you to fade the situation altogether because neither had top 20 upside. So hopefully you listened to us before the draft, and then hopefully you picked up Gaskins and Savan Ahmed when they were bell cows. But gosh, that was just sad listening to the projections of Howard and Breida. So that's stuff we can throw out. And unfortunately, we can throw out your top quarterback as well, at least for 2020. So Daniel Jones, Steve, he is my guy, the hill I am willing to die on. Those are your words. So Daniel Jones, he was the QB 14 in the ECR on Fantasy Pros. He was a QB 15 in ADP. He was going in the 11th round. Steve, he was your QB 6. Neil, he was your QB 8. And in the end... He ends up as the QB 24 overall with 13.4 fantasy points a game. He's behind Phillip Rivers. He's behind Baker Mayfield, behind Garrett Gilbert, Drew Locke, and even Tua Tugavaloa. So where did we go wrong? Is it all on Saquon or did we miss something big? Uh, Look, I was wrong about Daniel Jones. I'm fine admitting that. It did not burn me that severely because you can wait on QB. As we talked about Th- this, what this is what I was getting from all of the Josh Allen people in the preseason. And we're still trying to come at me now, which is hilarious, by the way. Look, was I wrong about Josh Allen having a great season this year? Yes. However, how much did that really affect you when you look at it? 
because you had a guy like Patrick Mahomes who paid off. If you paid a top pick for Lamar, how did that work out for you? Paying early for QB never, ever pans out. So what you want is to wait on quarterback, fill in the rest of your roster, and then try to hit on some of these guys in the back end. And Daniel Jones was one of those back end guys that I thought was going to come through and didn't. And he had a rough season this year. But to your point, look, we talked about it in the preseason. Last year, Daniel Jones was QB 17 the weeks that he was without Saquon Barkley. But when Saquon Barkley was in the lineup, he was QB 7. That was the entire narrative, that they were in the Jason Garrett offense that had just produced a top three season for Dak, and now he had Saquon Barkley back healthy for a full season. Barkley gets hurt in the second quarter of game two. They have literally no running game to speak of for the entire season, and he has had some decent matchups along the way that he hasn't cashed in on. He had a stretch from week seven to week 10 when he finished in the top 15 three times. He's had a couple of you know, games here and there that he's been usable off of waivers, but that's pretty much been it. He's been dealing with injuries of his own. No Saquon Barkley in the offense. It was the first year of the Garrett offense. Going into year two, I think he's going to be faded into oblivion. So it's the second year of that offense. When we come back in the preseason, I would be surprised if I'm not in on Daniel Jones again. And that's fine. It is what it is. I, I already acknowledge that and admit it, and I'm looking forward to being wrong about him again next year. This will be great. <laughs> yeah, I'll take my my L on Daniel Jones as well. But to your point, it didn't really burn you that bad if you actually followed our real advice, which was we've got him at six and eight respectively. Don't draft him there. You can wait and take him at his normal ADP. And if you did that in the 11th round, no 11th round pick is going to cost you a championship because in all likelihood you followed the real advice, which was get two. Wait until the 11th round, get Daniel Jones, and get another guy just as an insurance policy in case we're wrong. And maybe you were lucky enough to actually follow our other piece of advice and get Ryan Tannehill, who we'll talk about later. But my favorite part of this whole thing, uh, gentlemen, is the new scuttlebutt. Uh, the rumor mill never stops in the NFL, which is the most recent one from literally this morning. Gettleman rumored to be out with the G-Men for next year. David, football Gettleman. What a run. What a ride it's been for that. And personally, I hope I, I, I don't want to wish him well. You know, best of luck to you. But I personally hope that comes to pass. And then they can restructure. And yeah, he'll be faded so low that with Saquon again, I have a feeling our advice will probably look pretty similar to what it did next year as it was this year. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's going to be quite a show if Gettleman is out. That's going to set some dominoes into motion. But to your point, as both of you have said, it's all about the late round quarterbacks and it's picking guys that are going to pay off later. So yeah, I'll, I'll bury the, we're going to bury the lead on Ryan Tannehill, but Teddy Bridgewater, he is one of those guys. QB 26 in the ECR, QB 25 in ADP. Steve, he was your QB 14. Neil, he was your QB 16. And he ends up as a QB 17 overall in just 14 games played with 17.21 points per game. And we're not playing these guys, drafting them. We're going to play them every week. That's not our mentality. You want to play the good matchups. And it really paid off rotating quarterbacks because, like we said, Ryan Tannehill, the QB 15 in the ECR, but the QB 22 in ADP. That was ridiculous. No one liked Ryan Tannehill whatsoever. The stink of Adam Gase was still on him. 
Both of you had him as QB12, and he ends up being the QB7 overall, which is fantastic. However, goes to, drops down to QB9 in points per game when you to go that way. Lamar and Justin Herbert jump in because of games played. But most notably, over the final four games, so that's the playoffs in the make-or-break final week of the season, Ryan Tannehill was QB3 behind only Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. And like you said, Steve, instead of spending a second round on Lamar Jackson, I'm going to use a 13th round pick on Ryan Tannehill and just feast. If you want to get Ryan Tannehill and Jonu Smith in a stack and take a screen cap of your championship, send it to importantnonsense.com. And it absolutely happened with Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, that was that was an easy smash for us in the preseason. We talked about it basically the entire summer. The fact we talked about it last year in our wrap up show, the fact that Ryan Tannehill from the time he took over as the starter last season was QB five the rest of the way in 2019. And yet he was being faded all this offseason as if he had done nothing the season before. Normally, when you have these veterans who blow up, they come in the following year with way too much hype. He came in with the reverse. He came in with literally none. And we were somehow higher than the general public and even higher than the industry on him. So it was really surprising to see that everybody had just given up on Tannehill after he had literally just done it in the same offense with the same players. I've said it to you all off, uh, all during the season too, privately, which was if we would only just put Ryan Tannehill where we had Daniel Jones, we would have looked like utter geniuses. We would have called it to almost the exact number. Like we... We would have been, we would have not even had that one little blemish. It would have been amazing. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, but at the same point, two out of three for our guys at quarterback. We did stick the big flag in Daniel Jones, but we had smaller flags in Teddy and Tannehill, and it still counts. Two out of three ain't bad at all. And so now we're going to look at our fades where we did kind of mess up a little bit. So Kyler Murray, he was a QB5 in the ECR and ADP, sometimes even higher than that. We still had him top 10-ish, top 12-ish, but our main issue was Murray was going ahead of guys like Deshaun Watson in a lot of drafts. So he's the QB1 with 386.96 fantasy points, and his 25.8 fantasy points per game are behind only Dak Prescott and Marcus Mariota. Meanwhile, the QB2 is Josh Allen. So he, he was QB7 in the ECR, QB11 in the ADP. QB9 on the website, but for Steve, he was your QB17. Neil, he was your QB13. So he's just behind Kyler, 25.65 points per game. We said there was no way he could repeat the rushing TDs. Steve, you would gladly take him as a backup with upside, but we weren't ready to count on him, and we weren't ready to elevate Kyler Murray to that status. Should we be bolder on these guys going forward, these young guys with a rushing floor, or... Did we already prove that we like we, we had the right process with Daniel Jones? Well, the rushing floor is the key there. And we talked about rushing floors in the preseason and how that is how you determine basically who the top five, six, seven guys are going to be. They have to meet a certain threshold. Um, again, we talked about that in all of our like preseason lead up shows. The big thing for me, we talked we had this exact show last year with the hot take time machine recapping all of our stuff. And we talked about being wrong about Josh Allen. And I said, yes, I underestimated the rushing ability and the rushing floor. I didn't have him in my top 10. I won't make that mistake again next season. And then I came back and put him at QB 17. So I definitely made the same mistake twice, and I'm fine with that. My whole process, and I believe Neil agrees with me here, we talked about this in the Bills preview show during the preseason. The idea that Josh Allen 
if he continued to have the rushing touchdowns and improved his accuracy, based on our website projections, he would be a top five quarterback. The problem was we assumed that he would continue to try to throw the deep ball, which he still cannot do, and especially with Stefan Diggs coming in, and that he would be vultured on those goal line scores by Zach Moss. Zach Moss, I think, is the bigger miss here for us than Josh Allen is because Zach Moss has been a wild disappointment. And because of that, Josh Allen has still been getting the goal line carries to walk into the end zone and make him have a much better statistical season than any of us could have projected. My projection would have been spot on for Josh Allen at QB seven if Zach Moss was in the end zone more and if I had assumed he could somehow stop throwing the deep ball. But they're throwing the underneath passes to Stefan Diggs and just letting him run, which is what they should have been doing all along. We talked about the idea that he had a 70% completion percentage. He was number one in the league last year when it came to passes under 20 yards. However, over 20 yards, it was 30%, which is what tanked him, and they throw through the ball so much deep. So Josh Allen having a great season this year. I cannot overstate the fact that, you know, good for him, he did it. But if you reached on Josh Allen, I mean, more often than not, like in the leagues that we played in, the Josh Allen owner did not make the championship. Josh Allen was not the difference between your team winning and losing a title this year, at least in the handful of leagues that we played in. That, that's correct. And also, just to keep on with that, part of the analysis as well on Josh Allen was last year, he had a 58% total accuracy rating because of, you know, the abysmal deep ball numbers. This year, he's at 68%, which neither one of us thought would be reasonably possible to take a 10% jump in accuracy year on year. And then it also can't be ignored that they lost John Brown for a large part of the season, who is typically somebody who feasts on those deep targets because he gets a lot of them because he stretches the field. With him effectively out, you saw a shift to more Cole Beasley. What does Cole Beasley do? He plays out of the slot, works underneath as well. So really, that's just kind of how they morph their offense in a lot of ways. There's a lot more emphasis on short to intermediate things and creative ways of getting the ball to not just Stefan Diggs near the goal line and just past it, but also to Cole Beasley. Similar depth of target, and it really paid off for the Josh Allen, you know, manager in your league. But that being said, given the price tag you had to pay, it bit you other places on your team. So, yeah, he can put up a 40 for you any given Sunday. We've learned that at this point concretely. But what did you at what cost, Jack? At what cost did, did you have to put in to actually get that roster construction wise? So good for you if you had Josh Allen. But I don't know if you're holding a trophy right now with Josh Allen as your quarterback. And for next year, it remains to be seen. I still, I don't know that he's going to take another accuracy leap. So Josh Allen will be a hotly debated topic for next year. Uh, that being said, he probably will wind up inside my top 10, given that I had him at 13 uh, just for this year. Josh Allen will be hotly de debated, as will Aaron Rodgers. We already know that. He always is. QB 13 in the ECR, QB 9 in ADP. Steve, he was your QB 18. Neil, your QB 17. He is a QB 4 overall in points per game when you remove Dak and Mariota from the sample size. 
Patrick Mahomes is QB3. MVP season for Aaron Rodgers. I know that makes you thrilled as lifelong Chicago Bears fans. So just wanted to throw that in quick. Quickly, though, kind words gone wrong at quarterback. So we have to cover this because it is very relevant in the news right now. Dwayne Haskins. B29 from Steve, but you did acknowledge he could break out. You know, he could be that big dynasty riser. Just wasn't going to t be the one to champion him this season. But you weren't. we weren't going to be surprised if he made a Jared Goff-ish leap. But, you know, we know Goff isn't good, so it's reasonable that maybe Haskins isn't good, but he performs well enough. Even QB 29 was too generous, too kind. He ends up as a QB 37 in points per game behind guys like Garrett Gilbert, Taylor Heineke, Joe Flacco, Kyle Allen, and Jake Luton. What a twist. That's just, I, I don't know. And there's rumors he's going to Denver now. So, Neil, any thoughts on Haskins going to Denver? Any thoughts or just positive thoughts? Because I have any thoughts that you can have, but I don't have anything nice to say. Um, I view that as a, uh, I view that as one of those things where it's like they're just not sold on Drew Locke. We've talked about this privately. They, that's, it's we're at that part of the flow chart, which we'll post in the off season. The wheel of Denver decision making, which is a giant circle. So they're going to bring in some sort of veteran to actually compete with Drew Locke, which I think is an idiotic way to evaluate quarterback in the NFL. But what are you going to do? I don't make those decisions. And Haskins will be cheap. He sort of fits the mold, and they're evaluating kind of veteran-ish to proper veteran type of guys to kind of come in as camp bodies. So it does make a certain amount of sense if that's the way they're going to evaluate it. I just personally wouldn't do it. And also personally, I would much rather have a, a, as much as it makes me want to throw up, a, like if you're going to do that, get a, get a guy who's got some experience, who's cheap. What about like Mike giraffe net Glennon? Something that actually looks reasonably competent or has at certain points, as opposed to the, head case that is Dwayne Haskins. They got strip clubs here too, Jack. That's my only point. They got strip clubs here too, man. They, they're, they're open. So I think it's safe to say for now that Dwayne Haskins is joining the washed club, the don't bother club. So the, there are a couple guys that we said don't bother with in fantasy at all. Big Ben, he was a QB 15 in the ECR. Steve, you're QB 23. Neil, you're QB 25. He is a QB 12, but if you watch him, it doesn't look like he's the QB 12. He's been carried by the offense and his pass catchers. And the same can be said for Phillip Rivers consistently in your QB 12 every year until 2020. And then you kicked him down at 22, 24-ish. You guys were sad about it. And he's the QB 18 after a strong finish. Right to fade Phillip Rivers. Right to fade Le'Veon Bell. In no circumstance were we drafting him at all. There is zero chance that Le'Veon Bell finishes inside the top 20 at running back. Zero. That was from Neil. Bell is the RB60 overall in 11 games. He's averaging 6.8 points per game. It is brutal. You're welcome, America. You're welcome, America. You're and totally this is welcome. And this is why it is so important to listen to you guys because, you know, we get, we get stuff wrong. Everyone gets stuff wrong. But some of our, like, the ones we stand on a hill do not draft this player, right on track because terrible decisions, just like drafting Philip Lindsay was a terrible decision. Do not draft him. No upside in PPR. He cannot catch. That was also from Neil. So thank you once again, Neil. As we know, I am the resident Philip Lindsay expert. I, I am very plugged in to the situation with Philip Lindsay. Now, I will say I was less right about the other side of that coin on the on the analytical side about Melvin Gordon. But I absolutely had Philip Lindsay 
dead to rights in terms of how they were going to deploy him this year and as it would relate to actually translating to PPR scoring. Standard a little different, but PPR scoring for sure. Exactly. Lindsay finishes the RB63 overall in 11 games, averaging 6.0 points per game, less than Le'Veon Bell in the same amount of games. Absolutely brutal, as is Sammy Watkins. And we were of the opinion, once again, he was going to blow up in week one. We, we called it, and then he did nothing once again. And we told you it's not worth the hassle of drafting him, trying to find a trade partner after week one. Just don't do it. Don't just take the L on week one. You know he's going to go off. And since then, he's the wide receiver 82 overall in 10 games. And so our final stop on the Don't Bother Tour is kind of a doozy. We we, we kind of messed up on this one. It was Corey Davis. And we, we said don't bother. He is bad at football. And I, I don't think he's good. But he finished as a wide receiver 32 overall, 14.0 points per game, tied with DJ Moore for wide receiver 26 in points per game. But don't worry, I have hopped back in the time machine, hopped into the future, already checked it out. Corey Davis is the double Spider-Man Devontae Parker, still isn't good. So is there anyone that we already know is on the don't bother list for 2021? Uh, we were kind of having this discussion in the chat. Like, who do you think will take a huge drop basically from this year to next year. Who's going to be next season's Mark Ingram. I think the jury is still out and it's going to take a, it's going to take the off season basically to figure out who those types of players are going to be. Um, I think it's important when we're going back and looking at these guys though, when you're talking about guys like uh, Roethlisberger, Rivers, Le'Veon Bell, Philip Lindsay, how we got to there. It's not that we're projecting they're actually going to finish in those positions. Same thing with Daniel Jones. It's not that I thought he could finish at, you know, QB seven. It's these are my confidence rankings, not my projections. So it's I feel confident in that player so much more than player X and how I end up with a guy like Ben Roethlisberger, like you mentioned. Yes, he's finishing right now at uh, QB 12 in standard scoring. However, like up until this last week when he had his second best week of the season in points per game, he was QB 15. And when you look at what he's done overall, again, even including this past week, Ben Roethlisberger has only had three games inside of the top 10 all season long. So what's the upside to drafting a guy as the 15th overall quarterback when he's barely going to be startable for you? That was kind of our whole argument in the preseason. And that's how we get to, where our rankings are through all of these guys. And it's just a matter of the same thing here with some of the wide receivers we're going to be talking about soon. Like how, how do we get to those numbers and how did we make the projections and rankings that we made? And I'll just echo that just briefly with as far as for looking ahead into the crystal ball for next year, this year going into 2021, it's more difficult than ever to actually have that conversation was kind of the big takeaway from the conversation we were having with the staff in the chat. Because you have a free agency that we're about to start here in a couple weeks that is going to be a historic free agency. We have more running backs changing teams and a number, a number of critical wide receiver changes that are going to change other players' fortunes dramatically. So I'd love to sit here and wish I could tell you, oh, it's this guy, it's this guy, and it's this guy. I would love to do that. That's what we're here for. But I can't because we're literally about to watch 15 to 20 running backs change teams. And at the top end of wide receiver, there's four to five guys, Kenny Galladay, potentially like just at the top of the list, Michael Thomas, who knows if they can even afford to keep him around. We have so many names 
that are, we're going to go through this huge spin cycle that this year more than ever, it's going to be more difficult to try and identify that now. We'll have a much better idea of it once we know where the actual, you know, chips are at the poker table, so to speak. And uh, just one more thing before we get off it. Like, look, we were wrong about Corey Davis having a big season, but I would say that Corey Davis is another one of those outliers that we talk about every year. Whereas it's not something that I would deem, you know, quote unquote, repeatable. I would say this is this is a boomer bust guy that happened to boom for a majority of the season, and that's why he ended up where he is. It's an offense that just does not pass the ball very much. And if you go back and look at the numbers, like Corey Davis has had a solid season, and I think you put it on here. Where was it? There he is wide receiver thirty two. Is that in overall points or in points per game? Overall points. He's uh, wide receiver twenty six in points per game. Okay, so overall wide receiver 32, but when you actually go in and look at his PPR finishes, he finished as the wide receiver one in week 13, the wide receiver four in week eight, the wide receiver eight in week 15. He had three massive games that put him in the top 10. He was not in the top 20 in any other week, and he had two weeks in that stretch, when he finished outside of the top 100, he had three weeks where he finished outside of the top 80. So he had three weeks where he had a huge top 10 game for you and three weeks where he was a horrible, horrible disappointment in your lineup. Including the zero he put up for you if you started him as a flex. In the championship. championship. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, he had, like I said, overall, when you're just looking at big, broad numbers like that, yes, Corey Davis had a wide receiver three or a flex type season, but in general, he was, you know, buoyed up by three big games that carried his entire season. I would say that's much more of an outlier than anything else. And is now going to get overpaid in the off season because yeah. of it, but it is going to be a wild off season to follow along on importantnonsense.com. but we'll get to more of that after the break. All right, and we are back, and I have a lot of apologizing to do. So the Dallas Cowboys, oh boy, I am sorry. So I had Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup rent right together, like 22-23. I thought Gallup was the wide receiver one on the outside, and I nailed the configuration. They had Gallup on the outside. Amari Cooper is the Z moving around the line of scrimmage. And then C.D. Lamb was a better Randall Cobb in the slot. They It played out exactly that. But what I didn't account for was just how good C.D. Lamb was going to be. So Dak takes a snap. He looks up. Cooper and Lamb are already wide open. And Gallup's still running deep. So it's a pretty easy decision. And so Gallup did what I expected him to do when thrown to. 20.5 yards per reception with Dak in the lineup. That was third in the league. But he was tied for 44th in receptions. He was a pure decoy. And I am sad. So for the Dallas Cowboys... Amari Cooper, wide receiver 13 in the ECR. Steve, you nailed it. Wide receiver 13. Congratulations. Neil, wide receiver 15. Ends up as the wide receiver 14 overall. Just completely nailed it dead on 15.1 points per game. And then CeeDee Lamb, we were a bit lower on him. We thought the rookie learning curve would be bad. We had him in the wide receiver 40, wide receiver 47 range for both of you. Ends up as the wide receiver 20 overall. The problem, Michael Gallup, I'm so sorry. Wide receiver 36 overall at 11.0 per points per game. But that's just because of this last week he was really good. He was the wide receiver 45 overall before this, 9.6 points per game. So, guys, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I mean, I don't know why you're apologizing to me. Apologize to Neil because I was the closest. So, 
You were, and I had it, and I had it, I had it right in line, and then I moved it up because I was listening to Jack in the staff chat. We're having this conversation directly, and you talked me. Uh, into it. I know, literally talked me into it. Uh, but it's okay. We forgive you. We love you. It's all good. And uh, uh, Michael Gallup, one more year in Dallas. Looks like reading the tea leaves there, and with Dak back, that'll be another one that's hotly debated in the off season for him with projecting again with a full season of Dak. A lot of people are saying he's going to be out uh, and, and move in this off season. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, I hate to tell you guys don't listen to that because he'll be back. Yeah, but what, if, what if they send him to green Bay though? I'd be really happy. That'd be fun I mean, again, me. be happy if you want, but it, we're just going to talk about like logical logistical things and what players make. I don't see how he's going to get, he's going to get out of there. I think he's stuck in Dallas for one more year with a three headed monster and we roll it back. Uh, you know, it, honestly, fair, but you know what? I, I'm, I just wanted to say once again, I'm sorry that my guy at receiver completely busted and it was costly because he was going like fifth, sixth round. I'm sorry. Your whiff in the same kind of mold, much less costly. So Darius Slayton, he was the wide receiver 44 in the ECR. Steve, you had wide receiver 31, Neil wide receiver 30 ends up as wide receiver 67 in points per game, wide receiver 48, or sorry, wide receiver 67 in points per game, wide receiver 48 overall. We also were high on the rest of the Giants passing game. We thought Sterling Shepard, you know, wide receiver 37, wide receiver 38. He ends up wide receiver 55, 11.7 points per game. Then Golden Tate falls off the map, ends up as wide receiver 86. We had him around wide receiver 40. So can we go back to the Darius Slayton well next year? Is this a symptom of the Giants offense as a whole, or what are we doing here? Uh, this just goes back to what we talked about earlier, honestly. After week two, the entire defensive game plan for anybody going up against the Giants was, we're rushing three, we're dropping eight back. We dare you to beat us with the run because we know you can't. And they can't. And that's, and that's just it. That's how they've run. And can't beat you with Evan Ingram either. The tight end six in the ECR. Steve, you called him tight end 10 in points per game. You were being really nice. You thought he was going to, we called it in our official projections, 13 games of play. You wanted him down at five, but we called him for those 13 games. He'd be tight end in 10 in points per game. Sad part is he's played in every game and he's the tight end 14 overall at nine point two points per game he's a tight end 17 in points per game so even oj howard was more worth your time so just we nailed evan engram missed on the rest of the giants passing game any final thoughts neil just it the giants as a whole the second saquon went out that that analysis if we go back to the preseason was largely derived from it's kind of a clone of the cowboys analysis from the year prior that i had a heavy hand in which is if you've got an elite level running back, you've got an unproven quarterback, you know, so to speak in Jones, and you've got all your weapons back at wide receiver. You've got three guys who we believe that can actually play in, in, uh, uh, Shepard, Tate and Slayton. The second you remove the elite level running back from that equation, that's the stir. That's the straw that stirs the drink. If you take that away, they immediately go one dimensional. And that defense is a train wreck that, well, they actually played better down the stretch throughout the year, but that defense is not good enough to actually offset the chaos that happens on offense. So the whole an analysis for all of those guys was largely predicated on the idea that teams had to respect the run. To Steve's point, the minute that you don't have to do that, 
none of those players is good enough individually or collectively to actually get to their projections. So that's your issue. The second that that uh, that Saquats goes on IR, bag it. Just bag all of it. Well, so, and I'm going to agree with you on the wide receivers. I would say the problem for Evan Ingram, though, is and, – and the reason that we get so heated about it and that we talk about this so much in the preseason – is because it feels like every year somebody, <laughs> the nerd, wants to <laughs> lump in Evan Ingram to a locked-in top four or five tight end. He said three. It was gross. He oh. had him ahead of Mark yeah. Andrews. But yeah, it's, but it's not just him. It's everyone in the industry wants to lock in Evan Ingram as he's so talented. He's a guy that no matter what happens, that he's going to have a huge season. The fact of the matter is that we have been saying all along is Evan Ingram is part of that lump of tight ends outside of the top three where it's you score a touchdown and you're right, and if you don't score a touchdown, you're wrong. And he's scored one touchdown all year. So you telling me that his numbers haven't been good enough to be in the top 12 isn't surprising because he's only scored once. And the right. one week he scored, he was tight end four. And, he's and also, that's it. He's also dealing with an Eric Ebronian level of drop. <laughs> Like uh, that's that's yeah. what that is. He's he's got stone hands. Yeah. That is so that was bad. not covered in your write up here, and I want to make sure we point that out. The man. And thank you for clarifying. It hits him in the hands, and he drops it. It reminds me of watching Amari Cooper from years ago, and again, Ebronian level of drops. It's it's disgusting. It's yeah, it's real bad. So let's move on from him. The other receiver you guys were highly touting outside of Slayton was Preston Williams, and I technically it's a bust, but I think we're proven right if he doesn't get hurt. So Tua in the game he gets hurt. 12 pass attempts. Five of them went to Preston Williams. He goes 460 and a touchdown. Hurts his foot on the TD catch. So I'm excited to see next year. I think he's going to be a big, really popular with important nonsense because Tua clearly trusted him. But because we liked Preston Williams so much, we did save the people from making a terrible mistake in drafting Devontae Parker. He was the wide receiver 23 in the ECR. You guys had him as the wide receiver 35, wide receiver 29 in ADP, and ends up as the wide receiver 44. You are welcome, America. Avoid Devontae Parker each and every season. It's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. Although, we said the same thing about Deontay Johnson, and we kind of missed there. Because Deontay Johnson, he was the ECR wide receiver 41. Steve, you had him wide receiver 56. Neil, wide receiver 52. Steve was of the consensus that he was 2020's Dante Moncrief. Wide receiver 34 was his absolute ceiling. He ends up as a wide receiver 18 overall with one game miss. So he did miss on Deontay Johnson. What, what was what was going on there? So he stayed healthy. That's 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 Bingo. basically what happened. <laughs> uh, it, look, that that's what's the most frustrating thing about trying to evaluate Deontay Johnson. And I've, I've wrestled with this just thinking ahead to the 2021 season is because I know I'm going to be much higher, obviously. Again, in terms of confidence, yes, my confidence ranking on Deontay Johnson was 56 because I just couldn't trust that he would be able to take number one coverage, that he would be able to play fully on the outside, that he would be able to play with Juju fully healthy and Ben Roethlisberger and still get the attention. Well, he's dominated the team in targets. So he definitely took over as the number one. He beat out Juju there. We were severely wrong on that too. Although I think Juju, you know, bounced back to have a decent enough season. 
to not make our list here. But I, you know what? We were right on was Chase Claypool. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. That was the number one. You, you buried the lead. That was the number one reason we were down on Deontay Johnson. Is it? It was because we were so high on Clay, Chase Claypool, specifically you, Steve. I can't believe an American had more love for the Canadian than I did. I am embarrassed by that. But you called it. I'll see your Deontay Johnson raise you a Chase Claypool. You called it. He would be at least the wide receiver two in Pittsburgh by the end. Maybe the wide receiver one by this point. Ends up as the wide receiver 25 overall, poised for a big 2021. So that that is, I, I think you buried the lead. It was all Claypool. Yeah. Look, I mean, I'm going to be high on Claypool. I'll be high on Johnson with Juju most likely gone. And I guess it's one more year of Roethlisberger. So as well, long that, as that stays the case, that, I that's guess. That's what I was going to say. We Let's assume for the moment that that is the case, and then those numbers make sense. But I tell you right now, if Ben Roethlisberger retires because yeah. they do something crazy like win a Super Bowl and he hangs it up and they can't do any better than Mason Rudolph, then all bets are off as far as those rankings go. If Mason, if you're telling me Mason Rudolph is starting 16 games for the, for the Steelers next year. The, the all, issue all is wrong. week three uh, for Deontay Johnson, week three against Houston, two targets, he gets hurt. By week, they come back in week five against Philly. He gets hurt, misses the game week six. Week 14 against Buffalo, he drops the ball twice, terrible drops, and gets benched for the entire first half. Still finishes with seven targets, despite not playing a full half of the game. In literally every other game that he has played this season, he's gotten at least 10 targets. That is an insane amount of volume. And if you're telling me he can stay healthy for a full season and Roethlisberger is still his quarterback, then he's a top five wide receiver. But I don't believe he can stay healthy for a full season. And I don't believe that Roethlisberger is the same quarterback going into next year. He was worse this year than last year and two years ago when he was last fully playing. So I can't possibly believe that it holds out yet another year. Like nobody's beaten father time, not even Tom Brady. No, I completely agree with you there. And so just a couple quick hitters at wide receiver. You nailed another rookie, T. Higgins. Everyone had him undrafted. Wide receiver, 68 overall. And you told people, even if you don't draft him, know the name. Watch it for waiver wires. You just have to look at the profile of these wide receivers. The guys like Claypool, the guy like T. Higgins, they land in the right spot. And they absolutely dominate. So Higgins, wide receiver 34 in points per game. Barely behind Tyler Boyd, who we were completely fading. Boyd ends up as the wide receiver 31. However, Higgins is the wide receiver 24 overall, ahead of Boyd as wide receiver 28. So, again, fade these bad decisions of these older vets and go for these rookies. My man, T. Higgins. Ew, everybody told us we were insane about <clears throat> fading Boyd, by the way. Shout out to all the haters on the <laughs> internet who were like, how could you not love Tyler Boyd? Because he's, by the numbers, he's actually bad. And he's totally volume dependent. Whereas what my whole colloquial in the chat analysis internally has been for T. Higgins is, T. Higgins will have the John Ross role, but John Ross is just an elite level athlete who can't stay on the field. T. Higgins is an elite level football prospect who also is a superior level athlete and that has absolutely translated. Uh, so looking forward to many, many years of watching T. Higgins basically be the undisputed wide receiver one in, in a Joe Burrow Cincy offense. Looking forward to that. It's going to be great. So T. Higgins had no targets in his NFL debut when he played in week one. 
and he has had at least five targets in every game since then. And you would think, oh, it's just five targets. That can't be that much. That's not that you know impressive of a stat, right? Since week two, that's 14 consecutive games in that stretch that he has gotten at least five targets. The only other wide receivers that have played 14 straight games since week two and gotten at least five targets are Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Stefan Diggs, and Robbie Anderson. That's it. Oh, That's the oh. entire list of guys. He has 107 targets this year in his rookie season, which is 18th among all wide receivers in the league. Now, Boyd left in week 15. He got hurt with a concussion, and he hasn't come back since. Maybe he plays this week. We'll see. But looking at the 14 games that the two of them played together through the first five weeks, when, like I said, T. Higgins had no targets that first game, Tyler Boyd was wide receiver 18 with 14.9 points per game. T Higgins was wide receiver 39. I told you by the second half of the season, T Higgins would be the established wide receiver one from week six through 14. They were tied at wide receiver 23 with 14.5 points per game and 27, almost 28 of those points for Tyler Boyd all came in week seven against Cleveland in that shootout game when he had the long touchdown at the end for no apparent reason. He was averaging 12.6 point per game in the other seven games that they played together. The T Higgins has been the dominant force on that roster. And Tyler Boyd has still had four more targets. Tyler Boyd has been a more targeted receiver, <laughs> but T Higgins is doing more with less. And now he's going into the second year with Burrow with no A.J. Green to compete with. I mean, the sky is the limit for this kid. I think he's going to be undervalued heading into next year, and he is the clear-cut one. I completely one. agree. Not yeah. even close. It's, it cannot be understated how impressive what he did was. It took him half a season to bury A.J. Green and to, uh, and to unseat Tyler Boyd and to relegate John Ross probably off the team. And Auden Tate to the practice squad, to all the five Auden Tate truthers that are in my mentions all the time. So there you go. We This was one that I was most proud of for us. We absolutely drilled this call. And he's going to be undervalued again next year to Steve's point. So we're going to be right again about T. Higgins for next season. Can't wait. Can't wait. I I, I, I can't wait either. I simply, I, I, I can't believe it. He is so dominant. And so th uh, three quick hitters that we called before we get to head to a break just nailed it in terms of roster building and process. So Jamison Crowder, wide receiver 41 in the ECR. Steve, wide receiver 33. Neil, wide receiver 34. It was just a slam dunk. He is a PPR monster. You need those guys on your roster. It's too good to pass up, just like it is with Cole Beasley. The world had left him for dead. ECR wide receiver 75. Of course, Steve had him up at wide receiver 48. Neil lower at wide receiver 61. Beasley ends up being the wide receiver 20 overall, outscoring Terry McLaurin and DJ Moore. And even still in points per game, he's a wide receiver 28. So absolutely phenomenal. This is why we stress these PPR monsters so much. And our final little quick hitter, shot call. Brandon Cooks over Will Fuller. It was going to happen. We always knew it was going to happen. There's no way it was going to miss. And of course, and, and or Will Fuller, he stays healthy all season. It's kind of a little bit funny and then gets popped for PEDs, whatever. I, I don't want to touch that. But 11 games of Will Fuller, 
14 games of Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks ends up with 3.5 fantasy points more. So it was just too obvious. You know, some things are just too obvious. Go for these high volume pass catchers. Jack, I can't wait for when the Bears in the offseason can't get a deal done with Allen Robinson and then bring in Brandon Cooks to be the one. Can't wait. Uh, well, and we'll see too, because Will Fuller, there's no way they can retain him in Houston. He's going to cost them too much money. He's going to end up elsewhere. We just don't know where. Can the Texans get a deal done to retain Brandon Cooks? Because that's what they wanted to do. I mean, I got laughed out of the room when I said Brandon Cooks was brought in to be the Will Fuller eventual replacement because he still has more years under contract. Brandon Cooks is 26. Will Fuller's 25. It, it's You would think because Brandon Cooks has been along, around for so long that he's some like decrepit old veteran. He's actually just one year older than Will Fuller, and he just has more veteran NFL experience. And after they got rid of Bill O'Brien, that offense looked a whole lot better. So now you bring in somebody like, please, dear Jeebus, Eric Bieniemy, to run this offense and let them turn things around. Brandon Cooks as the number one could establish himself as an easy top 20 play in fantasy next season, especially if Will Fuller is gone, as I expect him to be. It's some things are just too obvious. Watch the headlines, look at the roster construction and these guys that are going to get all these targets. You got to invest in them. We're going to take a break, hear a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back after this. Our friends at Monkey Knife Fight combine the fun and excitement of Vegas with DFS to make the ultimate daily fantasy prop game. That's right. And there are three ways for you to play. Stat shootout, rapid fire, and more or less. In Stat Shootout, you put together a two- or three-player team that'll accumulate the most of whatever stat type you've chosen to play, like touchdowns, total yards, receptions, etc. Then you choose one of the three target goals for that stat. If your team exceeds the chosen goal, then you win. And the higher the target goal that you choose, the more you can win. So if I choose a three-man team for touchdowns, I can set the target at one and a half touchdowns to pay out one and a half times the entry fee, or I can go big with a target of three and a half touchdowns to pay out 15 times the entry. I mean, obviously you go big or you go home. Obviously. Then there's rapid fire, where you select your team by choosing the highest scoring player in multiple head-to-head matchups of statistical categories, like who has more receptions this week, Michael Thomas or Julio Jones? Each contest will tell you how many matchups you need to get right in order to win. But again, more risk, the higher the reward. Sure, I mean, I only need to get two out of three matchups right to win one and a half times my entry. But if I can get five out of five, I'm looking at that 15 times payout again. You can buy me a lot of Jonu Smith jerseys with that money, Neil. You sure can. Finally, there's more or less. Depending on the contest, you'll be giving two to six players and their statistic targets for the game, like Cam Newton with 233 and a half passing yards against Miami. You have to decide if that player will get more or less than that target. But just like the others, more or less increases the payout the more risk you take. However, it offers the highest return as well. So you can go two for two to get that basic one and a half times payout if that's what you want to play. But if you've got the nerve you can attempt to go six for six and hit the 30 times payout. So many Janu jerseys. Well, the only thing better than winning money from Monkey Knife Fight is getting money from Monkey Knife Fight for free. Oh, do love the free. Just go to Monkey Knife Fight to sign up for a free account 
When you make your first deposit, use promo code NONSENSE, that's promo code NONSENSE, and Monkey Knife Fight will match your deposit up to $50. This is literally playing with house money, guys, so go to Monkey Knife Fight and use promo code NONSENSE, N-O-N-S-E-N-S-E, and get in on the action this weekend. So we are back, and we will start out running backs with our biggest victory lap, Clyde Edwards-Elair. So he was the RB14 in the ECR, while Damian Williams was on the team, moved up to both RB5 and the number five overall player, and it was hammered home time and again. He will finish outside the top 12. RB14, totally fine. His original positioning, but first round is a mistake. What do you know? RB19 overall, RB22 in points per game. One last time, do people overvalue Andy Reid and running backs? The Chiefs offense in general. It's the it's just it's just basic math as we continue to talk about. Basic math. And it was always basic math that Jonathan Taylor was going to become a bell cow. He was going to outscore CEH in fantasy over the final eight games. That was my shot call, and it happened. Not just for eight games, though. Steve, you called it. I don't need to quantify eight games, but I'm in anyway. So your boldness paid off. Jonathan Taylor, the RB7 overall, CEH RB19 overall. And the unfortunate reality is because CEH still plays with Mahomes and Andy Reid, they're still going to be overdrafted next year. I just hope that the world has learned not to draft CEH over Jonathan Taylor. And I hope that, Neil, you have learned that Mark Ingram is done. According to Neil in the offseason. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can do basic math, you know, contrary to some of my performances in the past. Yes, I can do basic math. But feel free, quote me from before, because I deserve the beating. I'm, I'm, I'm owed this beating. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. And it's only because I was so high on Dobbins. But from you, I actually love Mark Ingram. I'm higher than everybody. I'm higher than you. I'm higher than the industry. He ain't dead yet. And y'all just want say he's on the wrong side of 30 and he was hurt last year, but he's been hurt a bunch. And this isn't dynasty. This is redraft focused. I think they're going to treat Mark Ingram like a rental car. What's the fastest car on the road, Steve? A rental car. Well, the fastest car on the road isn't Mark Ingram. RB23 <laughs> in the ECR, RB25 yeah. for Steve, RB19 for Neil. I'll take it. I earned this. I earned that. I earned it. I said all of those things. And then I defended them. Uh, by the way, the rental car analysis isn't wrong. I just had the wrong player. So that, that does happen still. That's, that's process over results in this case. But what I hadn't accounted for is the idea that J.K. Dobbins is significantly better than I had anticipated coming into the league. Why couldn't you have convinced me of that, well, Jack? You convinced me of Michael Gallup. I tried. No, yeah, you just tried. You fighting. didn't succeed. But uh, no, Mark Ingram was my worst call of the year. I'll own it. And I owned him in just about every league. But what's hilarious about that is it certainly wasn't a death blow because I made the playoffs in every league that I had him. You just had to know when to cut bait. But yes, Mark Ingram is done. That is not a thing anymore. That's over. And well, it'll look, be... hold on. Far be it for me to defend Neil. As yeah. we all know, that's that not something I enjoy there. doing. However, I will say, J.K. Dobbins didn't have like a world beater season where he came in and dominated. He has been getting outplayed and outpaced by the Gus bus all year, which nobody had. So it's not this, like this we were true. completely wrong about it being a at least two-headed monster 
in Baltimore. And the Ravens' run offense has been terrible compared to last season. So it's not exactly the same situation. I understood how he got there. I wasn't as high as him, but I was still pretty high on Mark Ingram. I didn't think he was totally dead. And I don't think it was Dobbins that was the reason. I think is they just gave up on Mark Ingram and gave us Gus Edwards the shot. We all thought he should have had two or three years ago. That's fair. That is all totally yeah, fair. Completely because they, agree. Can, they, they couldn't. They, nobody could kill Gus Edwards off the field with the uh, and their and their rush their rush numbers. To your point, are down year on year from the year prior, which will factor into it. But I still I appreciate the defense. But what I will say is you can't you can't defend how wrong I was on that particular call. So. Like I said, it's my worst call of the year. I own it, but at least it wasn't unrecoverable. <laughs> yeah, well, and to be fair, I was wrong on Dobbins. I had him too high. I had him back end 20s at 28 or something like that. I just knew he was going to finish ahead of Mark Ingram. That was my big sticking point. But anyways, one of my other big sticking points, I was completely wrong on again. So I'm sorry about that. But it was, I'm not alone on this one. It was us against Dr. Dynasty. And so at no point, were we about Ronald Jones? He was, none of us were. We thought that he was getting overdrafted when the main guy there was, not hit, or he was the main guy there. There's not much competition, but we thought it was going to be a committee, Dare Agumbawale, LaShawn McCoy. They were going to be chipping in, and we were pretty keen on Keyshawn Vaughn as well. And I, I would have included Rojo with Corey Davis in our Don't Bother Club, but there's more nuance to this conversation, so we couldn't do it as a quick hitter. And then on the other side of the argument was, Uncle Len, in also in Florida, complete opposite situation for us. So Fournette, RB15 in the ECR, RB8 for Steve, RB13 for Neil. And he was the, there's only one running back with more fantasy opportunities, which is carries and targets in 2019 than Uncle Len, and that was Christian McCaffrey. So we were all about Leonard Fournette in Jacksonville, and then they cut him. We were still right about the process of how that offense was going to work because James Robinson did what we said. It was going to be a one-man show in the backfield. Only Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry finish ahead of James Robinson. So right process, wrong player. But then we stuck to it. Fournette goes to Tampa. We thought he was going to break out, and it just doesn't happen. He gets hurt, and Ronald Jones, or while he's out, Ronald Jones kind of breaks out a little bit. Ronald Jones finishes the RB21, though, so... Are you are are we really wrong in the sense that Ronald Jones wasn't a great draft pick? Are we still? How do we feel about Ronald Jones now? I am so confused. Right. How do you evaluate Ronald Jones going forward? That's the question. And I think the biggest thing here is when we talk about the Bucks, you have to talk about the turnaround that they made uh, defensively as well as offensively. Like they're moving the ball through the air, which they've never been able to really, they, they were doing with Jameis just fine, but now they've got all these weapons. They're moving the ball with Brady. Their defense is actually winning them games and they're in a positive game script for the first time in years, which has led them to run the ball more than they have in the past, like three or four seasons, something like that. And Bruce Arians has really stuck to what he said, where he's going to ride the hot hand. So rather than play a guy who's looked better, which, I mean, come on, let's be honest here. Ronald Jones has been propped up by a couple of long runs where Leonard Fournette has looked like a better runner when given the opportunity. But <laughs> oh, Hold on, Steve. I got to cut you off because your your analysis of Ronald Jones' running style is exactly right. He, yeah. he looks like someone playing Madden and just hits the juke stick over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, just constantly hitting the spin <laughs> button and the juke stick. And he's just flying all over the field. And you're like, what is this guy doing? And then it happens to work out. I, I mean, that's 
That's Ronald Jones IRL. That's what he does. That's who he is. So do I trust Ronald Jones as a lead back going forward? No. I mean, do I trust him in the Bucks offense if, say, McCoy retires? If Fournette on his one-year deal just doesn't come back and it's just Ronald Jones and Keyshawn Vaughn, but Tom Brady stays around and they're pushing to win a title again next season? Yeah, I guess you have to because they're going to be in positive game scripts. He's going to get the opportunities. And based on touchdowns alone, Ronald Jones will find himself as a back-end RB too. But if you're asking me, can some other QB come into this situation and they're playing for a seven and nine Tampa Bay Bucks team that's constantly chasing points? Do I trust Ronald Jones inside the top 40? No. And then part of that too, that we didn't touch on is part of the part of it is Ronald Jones is historically terrible in pass protection. And he showed that again this year. Let's not, let's not give him a total pass. He did improve as the season went on. He had, this is the best year he's had in pass pro, but part of it too, for me at least was Ronald Jones is going to miss a block at some point and get Tom Brady lit up. And that's going to be the end of that. And to be fair, that happened twice actually where he missed a a horrible, easy block that he should have had whiffed it completely and got Tom Brady lit up and they, they would sit him down for a little while. They'd give him a couple series off. Sometimes he might be done for the rest of the day, but they'd trot him back out the next week. So they had a little bit more faith in him than I did, or at least what I thought Arians would give him. I thought the leash was much shorter than what he actually ended up getting. And then lest we forget the hideous fumble that he had uh, about midway through the season when Brady drops back, puts it right in his chest and it Jones just doesn't put his hands on it and it hits him right in the front of the shoulder pads and just pops off and rolls forward about four yards. They, he recovered from that, which I thought wouldn't, I thought that would be, that was it. Like that was so bad and so basic and such a blunder that there's no way they're going to let this guy back on the field. And to be fair, they sat him down for a little while to teach him a lesson, but then he was right back out there. So I agree with a lot of what's the point Steve made. And it's just if if it's all back with Tom Brady and that defense is back and they've got the same more or less wide receiver core and they're going to be in positive game scripts and Leonard Fournette for whatever reason isn't there or and and LaShawn McCoy retires and it's just Jones and and Vaughn, yeah, I think at that point you're probably going to have Ronald Jones around RB fifteen. That's that's just math, it's just what it's going to be. Right, and in PPR scoring too, like look, he's been a what was it twenty one? I think he finished at overall something like that yeah and that's uh, what some some for, some for ppr scoring yeah and that's fine but the, like games. when you look at it he only played 13 games because he missed the last couple due to injury and you were relying on ronald jones in that those games as your rb2 he had three games with 18 or more points just three so three quote-unquote boom games and he had seven games where he finished with under 11 i mean This is a guy who has busted way more than he's boomed for you. But just in terms of total points and consistency, he's, he finds himself as a back end RB too. And I feel like on any given season that would crush you and you would be missing out on those boom games. If it wasn't for Tom Brady and the offense as a whole and positive game script. There you go. And also we, we talked down Leonard Fournette there because we were technically wrong about all that, but this is also one of those things where, two things can be true. Leonard Fournette was also a league winner for you. So I think all we concretely proved over anything is that as long as that team is constructed the way that it is with Tom Brady as the quarterback and that defense intact, the Tampa Bay job has value. I think that's the overall takeaway more so than anything. 
think you're right. I think that, yeah, I think you've nailed it on the head there. And that's why I think next year I am going to be higher on Keyshawn Vaughn than Ronald Jones, just in case that happens. Because he did turn 16 touches into a nice 69 yards in week 16 while spelling Leonard Fournette. And it's these guys like the Keyshawn Vaughns of the world, like the Tony Pollards of the world, like the Latavius Murrays of the world, these handcuff backs that we are propping up all offseason saying these guys are if – you, if you draft X player, you have to draft uh, this player as well. So if you have Zeke, you have to have Tony Pollard. And Keyshawn Vaughn wasn't in the equation. I'm talking for next year. But Tony Pollard probably saved you in the playoffs because he's of the uh, replacement level – that we have with these handcuff backs and we didn't nail it every time chase edmonds he didn't completely hit also didn't have uh, uh I, he didn't have a terrible season i mean he so, cut into that kenyan J- drake job pretty good though i'm talking the one for one step in and start he he didn't fully yeah, fire that fair. way he didn't and totally do that that's fair same as alexander madison i'd call them busts in terms of handcuffs but it's still the right process because you need the backups for these elite running backs. There's so much value in that. I, you guys always preach that, and I wanted to give you the credit that make sure you are drafting these Mo backups. Williams, great example of that. Perfect. But That's Aaron Jones is so good. He gets all the touches. And the, exactly. But I'm, the couple of games where Aaron Jones was out, Jamal Williams was a top 10 player. Hey, I'm being so facetious. That, I know. I get what you're saying. But I'm <laughs> saying Jamal Williams was – our point was we had – Jamal Williams having value on his own, and he did. But to what Jack's saying with the handcuffs, Jamal Williams is a guy we hyped up that when he stepped in as a true handcuff and nailed it. And and for the most part, like same with Chase Edmonds, doesn't fully pay off, but the process is there. And you guys deserve credit for that because that is a staple of the important nonsense podcast. Getting the handcuffs that you draft early. Anyways, we're going to close things out on this at tight end. So when we did our rankings, it was Kelsey and it was Kittle and it was Mark Andrews. That was our big three. Uh, Other people, other websites, they wanted to have Zach Ertz in there at the big three. We said, no, kick him out. We'll put him in his own tier at four. He can have his own little island. And then we had Darren Waller in his own tier as well at five. So in points per game, it's Kelsey alone at the top. 20.9 fantasy points per game from him. That was ridiculous. Then we have Darren Waller. George Kittle at three, Mark Andrews at four, CJ Ozoma technically five, TJ Hawkinson literally five. But when it, and it's Zach Ertz, he's completely off the board. But when it comes to guys like Darren Waller, should he, we have been higher on him? Should he be in the big three? Is Mark Andrews in the big three? Like, what is this kind of tight end landscape looking like now? I know I'm. Uh, what like what do we do? It's like next year it's Kelsey and Kittle, Waller and Andrews, Hawkinson. Big Bob Tanyan, Jonu, like, what do we do? For me, we talked about this a little bit. I think now it's back to kind of what we had this year. What we had this year was Kittle and Kelsey were a clear step above, and then Mark Andrews was the guy right behind them and was technically high enough that he was in that top three to be a step ahead of everybody. And then we put Zach Ertz in purgatory because we said – Everybody else was basically in the tight end dart throw area where you could be completely right on this tight end or you could be completely wrong. It all depends on how many touchdowns they score. And Darren Waller was the cream of the crop of that tight end dart throw area because we just didn't know if he would repeat it, but we knew he would get the targets because that offense relied on him so much. 
and that they were so terrible, just that he wouldn't be enough to be in the top three or four conversation. And Ertz could like float in between that. He could completely fall off the face of the earth or he could somehow jump into the top three. We were just completely out on Zach Ertz in general for what his price point was. So Darren Waller is a guy that has emerged to me. He has taken Mark Andrews spot as the guy in the big three with Kittle and Kelsey and Mark Andrews now finds himself in that purgatory of can he be healthy? Can he repeat what he did last year and put up the kind of production and points that we were expecting to see this season? And he becomes my locked in number four. And then literally everybody else is right back to that coin flip. Don't know. Guess the touchdown every single week. And we'll see. 100% ditto on that and that that is going to be how my rankings shake out at this point if i had to rank them right now it's kelsey it's kittle it's waller at three he has taken over that mark andrews spot mark andrews slides to four in the in the 2020 kind of tight end purgatory because we just don't know but you feel better about it than anybody else on the list and i think then just about everybody else is will they catch a touchdown And you feel incrementally the same about just about all of them from about five until about 12. And it's just kind of like, who do you like? Do you like Hawkinson? You didn't have Noah Fant on your list. Who's playing quarterback for them next year? Well, yeah, that was the thing too. You listed a bunch of guys there, Jack, about, you know, possibly being in the conversation. If you talk literally everyone else, a guy who's had a big breakout season this year that we've hyped a lot on the website is Logan Thomas. Mm-hmm. Logan Thomas has had a fantastic I was going to get to him. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, yeah. It, We're going to give him credit. We're going to get it, to him now. <laughs> but is it still is it still Alex Smith next season? And if it is, does that matter? Who's the QB in Washington? John <laughs> Smith is a free agent. Where does he go? Because there's no way for his own career and his own personal whatever he's trying to do that he wants to make the money that he wants to make and have the production that he is physically capable of having and is going to stay in Tennessee. I just can't see him possibly resigning there. He's going to end up somewhere. What team is he on? Robert Tunyon. (laughs) Yeah, I know. You know where I want him to go. I know where you want him to go. Robert Tunyon that you mentioned, right? Is he he, right now? He's having a great year because he's leading all tight ends and touchdowns. And he's the number two option in green Bay. Devin Funchess will be back for green Bay next year. Do they add someone else in free agency? The do they, they add? Give, some, do they give Funches the tight end designation like they should? Well, do they add some kind of other weapon to that passing game so that Aaron Rodgers isn't just throwing it to Devontae Adams and Robert Tunyon like he is right now? Do you have T.J. Hawkinson? Is Matt Stafford still the quarterback? I was just going to go there because yeah, if, that's the if one he that isn't the quarterback, who? What's the system? Even if he is the quarterback, who's the who's the new head coach? What offense are they running? There are so many huge question marks, whereas the guys we already talked about in the big four, you know the coach, you pretty much know the QB situation, and in the case of Water, Waller, the, the QB situation doesn't matter. I've, I've said all along that if they got a better QB than Derek Carr, I would just move him up my top three. But right now, even with Derek Carr, he's number three. So for all these other guys, there's just so many question marks that I can't trust any of them like I do those top four. I don't completely understand what you mean. It's just, it's such a touchdown dependent position. And we'll close out on our, our guy that we had picked to be the big breakout star. And we weren't fully wrong because he did have his moments. He had hit some high highs. 
did have some low lows, however. Jonu Smith ends up as the tight end 13 overall with two games missed. So he's shockingly behind Rob Gronkowski, Eric Ebron, and Jimmy Graham because he misses those games. But in terms of points per game, he is the tight end nine. Jonu Smith is behind only Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, George Kittle, Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson, Big Bob Tunyon, Logan Thomas, who we've all highlighted already because they're all fantastic, and Mike Gusecki because he's had a lot of touchdowns as well. So, final thoughts on Jonu Smith. Are we getting the Jonu jerseys? I mean, nobody loves Jonu more than Steve, so I think right. take the lead, Steve. Uh, look, here's what I'll say. So, you, you, you alluded to it. The first four games of the season – so they had their bye week, remember, because of the crazy COVID rescheduling in week four. So in the first four games of the season that they had, he had seven targets, five targets, eight targets, and seven. In the game against Houston, he injured his ankle and then just basically wasn't the same over the next three weeks. He got six targets each of his games in week 10 and 11 against Indian Baltimore, got hurt again against Indianapolis in week 12 and missed week 13 came back still wasn't hundred percent week 14. The last two games, he's gotten five targets and seven targets respectively when they have used him, when he has actually been targeted in this offense, he is averaging 14 fantasy points per game, but he's been dealing with injuries this season. It's a low volume offense in general. I still believe that if he goes to a team like Houston, who has a need at tight end, or if he becomes the new Jared Cook in New Orleans, or if he goes to some kind of system that will favor the tight end and will allow him to shine, that he can be an easy top five tight end next season, especially because, like we just said, the, the position is so scarce and so touchdown dependent that you can have a guy like Logan Thomas who doesn't score a ton of touchdowns emerge as a star because he gets a ton of volume. And volume is king at a position where no one else is getting it. 100%. And we'll just have to... I think a lot of the, the ranking conversation for Johnu this year is kind of like just an exercise because as we've pointed out, there is no way that he's returning to the Tennessee Titans next year. And so you can only hope that he ends up, to Steve's point, in a situation where... He'll be featured a little bit more and uh, has a little bit more pass pass volume because the volume, that's how I ended up with him at tight end 13. The, vo the volume turned out to work out closer to how I had it, where what's frustrating to watch is because he's been hurt too. They only really go to him when the uh, they're chasing, when the Titans are chasing. When you have Derrick Henry and you're 10 and 5, you're not chasing in too many games, even with a bad defense. So what I'm hearing is that when he goes to the Texans, Steve is going to buy a big number 81 Jonu Smith Texans jersey. Full send. Ship it. Let's go. Love to Cardi, hear it. Cardi Guaranteed. Cardi Guaranteed. was what I was thinking. You got a little on the door. Cardi. No, Cardi Cal. I'm going to have the Jonu Smith cardboard cutout sitting passenger side. Oh, good. My okay. wife will sit okay. in the back seat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, on that note, that's going to do it from me here on the Important Nonsense Podcast. I'm going to hop back in my time machine. So it was an absolute pleasure getting to come along for the ride with you, getting to recap this season for you. So thanks again for having me, guys. You can find me at Javna87 on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm going to hop back in my time machine now. Thank you, Jake. We appreciate it. Neil, where can the people find you on the socials? 
you can find me at uh, nonsense underscore Neil fantasy life app and Twitter. And uh, congratulations to everybody who won your titles. And if you play into week 17, good luck this weekend. And uh, you should probably look and change your league format. Uh, you can follow the site everywhere at nonsense FF. Make sure you do. We just put out today the, uh, the form for everybody to fill in for our, our community basically results of who our league winners, our award winners are going to be for this season. So there are seven categories to vote in. I tweeted it out. The official at nonsense FF tweeted it out. It's been retweeted by a bunch of our uh, fantasy Twitter colleagues. So we appreciate their help with it. They've also filled in their own stuff. So I'm looking forward to that. That'll be our show next week. So if you're listening to this, go do that. And uh, yeah, you can find me everywhere at nonsense underscore Steve. We will be back with a huge show next week for the wrap up of the NFL season. And then we'll, we'll be off for a while meal sleep and relaxation. Ugh. Website Ugh. maintenance too. <laughs> that never ends though. Uh, but until next week, everybody just keep up the nonsense. Music for this podcast is provided by Lee Rosevere. I'm Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, and you can find all the guys at importantnonsense.com. Kaboom!